I love being in a day and an age where a clarification on what drives us, a clarification on where we are at, what we believe uh, is coming to a place where it's going to be demanded. I really do. I think the world can only be sustained so long on wishy-washy, on maybe, or uh, or it doesn't really matter. We can't live like that. And I think the world and humanity is going to figure that out the hard way, obviously by living a life that gets blown to and fro. But when they see somebody anchored to something, something matters, something there matters. And so with that being said, I just want to read a confession to you that joins me not just with the universal church around the world, but also uh, throughout history, uh, connects us through history with Christ followers who have made a confession of this sort uh, to uh, many of them to the loss of, at the loss of their life, uh, many of them to communities that disagreed with them very strongly, but it was what they were known for as believers. And so the confession goes this way. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. That word Catholic there is universal. It is not just the Catholic Church we know of the day. Uh, Catholic is meaning the covering the earth, the universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Um, last week we briefly introduced the importance of why I believe. Why Paul in Romans says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, and it's not, why, why didn't he just say, well, I know things? Because you and I both know that we can know something, and nine times out of ten, we can know the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do, and we end up doing the wrong thing and then not doing the right thing because of what we know. You and I make our decisions, human beings make their decisions based on what we believe. What, we, what our affections are turned to the most, we will act on all day long. We want to say we're intellectual human beings and that we, we move as we think, and that's not true. Every decision we make is made out of belief. And what I believe to be the best, most powerful, most effective, most affectionate thing that my heart is drawn to, I will make a decision out of that all day long. And so as Christ followers, when we're making these confessions of I believe, these are the things that our heart is stirred by. And it causes us to live in a way that would reflect this God who we are confessing. These creeds bring clarity, they bring unity, they bring balance, they bring direction. These creeds are not going to be found word for word in the scripture. So if you're new to the faith and if you open up a Bible and you're like, I'm going to look for the Apostles' Creed, you're not going to find it word for word listed in the scripture. But what we have housed in the Apostles' Creed is a very simple, very brief, very clear, very beautiful, very poetic way of explaining the simple elements that the apostles taught wherever they went. And as early as the year 100, it's recorded that the churches were confessing these things to protect against heresy, to protect against false teachings, to protect against uh, ideas that were destructive to the church. 
And all the way down through history, they have in a way been confessing these things to do the same thing uh, in this day and age. Christ followers don't believe that, it, that, that if you were to repeat this Apostles' Creed, you're going to get some kind of blessing. We don't believe in incantations. We don't believe in mantras. We don't believe in repeating ourselves over and over and over in the hopes that God will actually do something on our behalf. God cannot be manipulated. We can't work Him up because of our emotion and our repetitive statements and all these things over and over and over. We can't do that. God has no needs, and He cannot be twisted and manipulated to do what we want of Him. The truth is, the Scripture is the authority that Christ's followers walk under. The creed is like in last week we talked about, the, you know how the moon doesn't have any light or power or, or warmth of its own, but it is reflective of the sun. The creed, in this way, the Scripture reveals God's truth, the creed is our response. The Scripture tells us what God has said. If the Scripture says, God says, I am God alone. The creed is, God, we believe you're God alone. Our response to him is housed in these creeds. Secondly, the creed is also a very simple way to declare and teach what Christ's followers believe. For centuries, Christians have had a very simple and clear way of explaining what we believe and not complicating it. It's teachable and it's easy to say. And so as we walk through the creed, this, this series, we're really just allowing it to be a springboard into what the Scripture teaches. We are not held to the creeds. We are not under the authority of the creeds. We don't repeat them for blessings. We don't repeat them. The creeds just help us define in a very clear and simple way what we believe as Christ followers. And today, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And we believe that because the scriptures teach us that God is completely and totally powerful and in the same intensity, intimately personal. We don't believe that because we feel it in our bones or because we, we think it's a nice thought or we think it's warm and fuzzy. We believe it because actually scripture has revealed it to us. The scriptures reveal these things about God. God did not stay hidden. He revealed himself to a people, and that's what we believe the scripture is. The scripture is God letting his creation know who he is and who we are. And as a people, we respond by saying, God, we believe you. Jesus' teaching uh, in his Sermon on the Mount spends um, a lot of time helping us understand both the powerful and the personal. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the, the famous sermon that Jesus gives, he actually spends some of his breath teaching us about how to spend ours, and that is in prayer. And in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 7, this is what Jesus says. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. And I love that Jesus just doesn't say, if you choose to pray or if you think praying is a good idea. He actually says, when you pray and pray. It doesn't give us any of that wiggle room because it's going to be assumed people who live in this kingdom are people who are going to their father in prayer. And he says, pray this way. Our Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. You know, within this prayer, we see just how serious Jesus is about God's people, recognizing that God is both powerful, infinitely powerful, but experiencing his very personal involvement in our lives. Your name be revered. Like Jesus opens this thing up, not with, hey, you should talk about how great you are, or your plans, or all your things. You should talk about you. You should talk about everything about, you know, he says, your name be kept holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I mean, Jesus is like, you've got to know this almighty God. You've got to know this God whose kingdom, whose name, whose reign, whose rule, all of it matters most. And we're such forgetful people that we need to pray this way regularly. We need to be reminded that he is mighty and that his name and his history has been revealed to us in scripture. Christians believe that God is the one who started everything. Miss Sue said it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Both with his words he spoke and with his hands he formed human beings. But he did not limit his role simply to creating and walking away. Um, the, the, the line in the Apostles' Creed, I believe... And God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that phrase, maker of heaven and earth, was actually starting to show up in the Apostles' Creed about 200 or 300 A.D. Because there were Gnostics, there were people who were heretical trying to move into the church and trying to say, well, if you just know this special knowledge, then you can be saved. It wasn't about knowledge, it was about Jesus. And so the church began to say, no, 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 that's not what the Scriptures teach. And as these Gnostics would try and tell people that, you know what, God the Father Almighty, he's too busy to create, so he made this other being that would have created everything. God the Father is just too busy, too big, he's away, and it doesn't matter to him. And the truth is, it matters to him. Creation, we believe, God created. He's the one who with his mouth spoke and with his hands formed human beings, giving value to speaking purpose to, design to. We believe that God created. But he didn't stay hidden from creation. He didn't do what many other people may come around with. Oh, you know what? He got this whole earth ball started and he stepped back and was like, let's see how this thing goes down. He stayed personally involved. In fact, he revealed himself as having a name and a history. And in Genesis, when... um, For those of you that aren't familiar with it, in Genesis 17, God speaks to Abraham. And he speaks to a man who has no clue about what God or who God is. And he says, Abraham, I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. Now get going. Leave this land, go to this place, and I'll get you there. El Shaddai, known, you you and I have, have, have seen it translated, God Almighty. And in the Hebrew, Shaddai actually is, it comes from this idea of nurturing and being able to sustain. And so when God is telling Abraham, hey, you, go. Why should I go? Because I'm all you're gonna need. I'm able to overcome. 
I am able to overpower everything else in this world. I will be enough to satisfy your longings. I will be able to provide for you. Well, I don't know where I'm going. I will be enough. Well, I don't know how I'm going to get there. I will be enough. Well, I don't know if I'm going to have all the supplies I need. I will be enough. And so God chooses to reveal himself to this man, Abram, and takes him on a journey that we actually end up following all through the scripture. And he reveals himself to the patriarchs throughout most of Genesis as El Shaddai, God Almighty, the one who is able to overpower, the one who is able to sustain. In the Old Testament book of Exodus, before Moses heads into Egypt for the deliverance of the people of Israel, Moses has some concerns, as I would hope most people have if you're talking to a burning bush. You should have some concerns. Uh, In Exodus chapter 3, Before he goes in, Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, What's his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This name I am that, that God chose to reveal to Moses, was so sacred to the people of Israel that they often replaced it with Adonai, or Master. And that word Jehovah, or Yahweh, that you see throughout most of the the Old Testament is written capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in most of your Bibles. And over 6,000 times in the Old Testament, God reveals himself as I am. And that's really important for you and I to understand because... I am that I am means he exists absolutely. So every time God reveals himself, he's saying, I have no needs. I existed before anything else. I am not defined by any other reality. Nothing determines who I am or what I'm like. No one created me. Nothing was before me. I am not in the process of becoming. I am complete And everything else is dependent on me. Everything that exists, exists because I made it. Moses, you tell those people that I am sent you. Parents, if you're having conversations with your children about God and creation, as they logically will, if you're saying that God created everything, logically, children are very intelligent. And do you know where they go after you tell them that God created everything? Who created God? And as a parent, one of your greatest invitations is to say, no one, no one created God. God has existed before any of this. He has no maker. He has no needs. He alone is God and no one created him. He's existed before us and he'll be around way longer. His story is going on forever and he exists because he exists. I am that I am. So parents, you don't have to say, well, I don't know, maybe there was someone that created him. It's one of the most freeing things for a parent to be able to tell their child, I am that I am. God is who he is. I mean, that's good news. Because honestly, if someone created God, God would need to point us to whoever created him, and then there'd be this line of logic that would just keep pointing down the line, but the truth is, it stops with God. I am that I am. 
Moses would go on to remind the people of Israel over and over and over and over. And if you read the Old Testament, you kind of get tired of the cycle, right? You kind of get tired of the people having to be reminded over and over and over that God is God alone. But in Deuteronomy chapter 4, listen to how he reminds them of their unique relationship. Now search all of history from the time God created people on the earth until now and search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts? Yet that is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt, right before your eyes. He showed you these things so you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. He let you hear his voice from heaven so he could instruct you. He let you see his great fire here on earth so he could speak to you from it. God does not hide. He has revealed himself as I am. God alone. No other gods before him. And it continues in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the very first and simplest confession a child would learn in the Jewish culture is, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. The very simplest of confessions is a game changer in a culture and in communities where it was many, many gods and they weren't anything like God who had described himself in the scriptures they were fickle and they were needy and they were clingy like we were, like we are. But God has set himself apart as God alone. The psalmist would make the same declarations in Psalm 18. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? Psalm 86. No pagan God is like you, O Lord. None can do what you do. All the nations you made will come and bow before you, Lord. They will praise your holy name, for you are great and perform wonderful deeds. You alone are God. And the Old Testament prophet Isaiah again reminds Israel, But you are my witnesses, O Israel, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been, and there never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. I love this. First, I predicted your rescue. Then, I saved you and proclaimed it to the world. No foreign God has ever done this. You are witnesses that I am the only God, says the Lord. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. I love this. Like a good communicator, God tells his people what he will do, what he did, and what he has done. Because we are forgetful. We need to be reminded. Tempted to believe that there are other things greater, and just like Israel had to be reminded of the power of God, we find ourselves in the exact same place. But the uniqueness of God is not simply that he is all-powerful, but that he is personal. And even the psalmist points this out in the Old Testament. A lot of people I know have this problem with Old Testament God and New Testament God. There's, there's really mean God, and then there's really nice God, and they're not separated. That's a false narrative that we have to work through and understand. But in Psalm 18, listen to the psalmist's cry. I love you Lord, 
in this moment, this infinitely powerful God becomes intimately personal. No other religious person would be saying, I love. They'd be saying, I serve and I do and I try and I work hard and I make all these efforts to do these things and I do whatever I can to, to help balance the behavioral scales of the universe or I try and get some salvation or I try and find my way back to God. I love you, Lord. You're my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my Savior, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me and my place of safety. I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and He saved me from my enemies. These sentiments are completely echoed in the New Testament. As Jesus continues in this prayer in Matthew 6, Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins. So we've forgiven those who have sinned against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Because God is mighty and because as his people, he is father, we can ask. This is not just, hey, God is mighty for everyone out there. This is incredibly personal and in that you and I are invited to ask. This is not just objective truth, but it comes close because Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Father, Father, your name. Now would you care for me and come close? As a father, he gives us what we need. He cares for our needs, and all good gifts, as Joel had mentioned, comes from the Father of Lights. Jesus said that He cares for the birds, and He knows every single one of them. But He also said, how much more valuable are you? Our Father knows our needs, and He desires to provide for those things. This, this does not mean, and here's, here's where we have to be very careful, all that we ask for, we're going to get? Come on now. You and I both know that a good father doesn't give his children everything they want. What happens with children when that happens? Oh, I bet they're a lot more selfless, right? I bet they're a lot more helpful. Oh, I bet they help old ladies cross the street all the time. I bet they hold doors. I bet they're willing to give away the money that they have. No! A good father says no to his children because oftentimes we're immature in our requests. Oftentimes, we don't even know what we need. My children think that what they want is what they need. And as a good father, he says no to his children. Now, I know there have been times personally that I have thought, God, this would be really good if you answered this prayer this way. I have. And there have been times I have had to come to the realization that even though I might disagree with God's answer, I trust that he's almighty. I trust that he's a good father. Not because I feel it in my bones, but because I believe the scripture to be true. There have been times he has said no. And at the end of the day, I trust that he knows what he's doing. As a father, he will offer us correction and discipline. We don't like this. In a society today where you can't correct your child in public without the fear of someone reporting you for saying no to your child, that's where we're headed. I mean, that's really where we are going. 
But a correction and discipline from a father is a very good thing. If I tell my children, don't go run into the streets. There are cars that could kill you going 55 miles an hour. And if I see my child running towards the street in complete disobedience and opposition to what I have said because I know it will protect him. You better believe that I will snatch my child up, grab him, go inside, because obviously you have to go inside your house to discipline your child because, again, DSS reports you if someone in your neighborhood says, you are correcting your child. It's time to get him out of there. But it is because I love my child that I will stand in between anything that's going to bring him harm and I will not let my kid continue to go uncorrected. Any good father, any good parent would say discipline and correction are needed in our lives. And as a father, he does these things for you and I. But as a father, he does not just discipline out of control. He's not out of control. And I know some of you may have father pictures that I'm asking that the Lord would be himself be able to correct because I know because of our earthly experience with our fathers, we may have put on God some of those qualities and characteristics. I am not a fool to think that everyone had a perfect father relationship. We did not. And even those of us that have good father images that we grew up with, God is still different from our earthly father. Our, our heavenly father is quick to forgive and to restore when my kids disobey and they come and say, man, dad, forgive me. You think I'm standing over aloof going, you know what? Nah, I'm going to stand over here and I hope we stay separated. You better believe reconciliation happens. You better believe coming back into the grip of dad. Hey, I love you. In 1 John chapter 1, we see that this is the father we can come to. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. A father longs to restore if a relationship is broken. And that is the kind of father that we approach as we pray. To ask our Father to help us to flee temptation and to rescue us from evil is to both suggest that He is mighty and a good dad all at the same time. For a father to be asked, hey man, I can't, I'm not strong enough to resist temptation, but could you step in and could you help me? Hey, I'm not strong enough. There's enemies that I have and I need you to step in. We play the dad card all the time. My dad is big enough. My dad is bigger than your dad. Because he is. As almighty, he is over and above all other things that could do us harm. And what good father wouldn't want to see us freed from the grips of the enemy? I tend to be a fairly calm individual, laid back. But if I see someone come at my children or my bride, you are going to have 218 pounds of Dragon Ball Z moving into action against you very quickly. Because a good father... A good father defends his kids. His good, a good father goes into action on behalf of his loved ones. And in the same way, Jesus invites us to ask of our Father to be all of those things to us. To pray this way is to acknowledge that our Father is bigger and stronger and able to destroy the enemy's grip 
and His plans for our lives. The greatest way I can describe this is my, my youngest son, who, um, he was the only one who actually did this when we go into public places, when he, was new, when, when he would walk into a new place, and he was probably three, three years old maybe. When we would go into a new place, Kai would walk really closely up against my leg. He'd just kind of put his arm around my leg and just kind of walk in, checking everything out, checking everybody out, getting a scope, getting a lay of the land. And then as he became more comfortable, he'd walk away from me and kind of be playing and doing all sorts of things. But if things got crazy, if things got hectic, he ran right back to Daddy's leg. And he'd put his arms right around Dad and just be like, I don't know what's going on. And in that one motion, my son was both declaring that Dad is almighty and that Dad is father. Almighty because he thinks that I'm bigger and badder and stronger than everything else in that room. And nine times out of ten, I might be. (laughs) But at the same time, he's saying, you're my dad, and you've got me. You're going to protect me. You're going to stand with me. This all-powerful, personal, is what Jesus has invited us into. Not only does Jesus talk about a powerful and personal God and Father, he displays it. And if Jesus came to reveal God the Father to us, then we should expect that. In Colossians chapter 1, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1, the Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. Jesus was both all-powerful and personal. And we see the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to, to make the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak, provide meals for thousands of people, miracles upon miracles, and the power of God expressed through Jesus showing up, but also the personal. Jesus sat with the woman at the well when no one else would. Jesus sat at this religious feast, this religious meal, and a woman with a questionable background comes breaking down the door and sits at Jesus' feet and dumps perfume all over him and and says and Jesus says come on come close come close so we don't believe that God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth because it sounds good or feels good in my bones but because the scripture reveals this to us and so as the band comes and we close this morning this evening how does this help clarify for Christ's followers how does this statement of God Almighty Father, maker of heaven and earth, how does this clarify for us? It means that, yes, he is completely and totally powerful, but yet cares about every intimate detail of my life. Nothing is too small. And in the world of internet memes, there's this, this section of memes that has come out that is um, really my life right now memes, if you've ever seen them. Um, and I, I think this matters because in these, these memes that exist, this is kind of what the, the, the meme co- communicates. And I think I've got them back there. I hope. Do I? Yes, there they are. Um, why this matters is because you and I can pick up the cynical, sarcastic, unbelieving walk of those around us where we can actually go, you know what? My life right now, it... Uh, You know, my life right now, this other one, I'm fine. This is my life now. Not fine. Things are not good. And I love this one, handling my life right now like... (laughs) You see, you and I can be very tempted to believe that that's just the way things are. 
Like, yeah, you know what? Uh, everything's going to stink. And that God really doesn't care about my every detail. You know what? I'd rather just not bother Dad. Maybe you grew up with a father like that where it was just better not to bother Dad. And the truth of Scripture is we can come with everything we have to an almighty Father who invites us to come and ask about every single detail. And that He is over all of them. And that He loves us. What about unity? How does this unite the church? Well, if this is true, and in Christ you and I share the same Father, He's brought us into a family, not an organization, but a family to belong to. And family relates different than an organization. Family relates differently than when something is corporate and stale. Family operates together. You and I, we can't really go, you know what, I'm taking my toys and I'm going home. Well, in Christ, they're all our toys, because he's our dad. (laughs) My dad's bigger than you. Nope. (laughs) He's our dad. We can't relate to each other the same way because we share this mighty father. How does this bring balance? Some of us really, 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 really love God the Father, but because of our warped views of what a good father is, we may treat God as a pushover, as an aloof guy with a gray beard who who leans over the edge of heaven with a shoehorn, barely able to tell what his kids are saying. All society has tried to make Dad look like the dummy. Go ask Dad. He'll say yes to anything because he's a dummy. And that's the way society portrays fathers. The truth is, our Father is mighty, holy, just, righteous, strong to save. But at the same time, some people are so bent on the righteousness, holiness, just, mighty power of God that you have forgotten that He longs to sit with you as His child, as Father. And lastly, how does this direct us How do we counsel ourselves and how do we counsel others? And the truth is, I know, and I said it before, some of you have good father images that you grew up that have formed and shaped your view of a heavenly father. And some of you have nightmarish father images. And you struggle with this father picture. And I'm asking only by the power of Christ that He is able to help you separate those two. Even those of you in this room who had great Father experiences, there is much more to your Heavenly Father. And to those of you who had the experience of a nightmarish Father relationship, I'm asking that the Lord in His kindness would say, I am not like that. I am good. I am powerful. I am under control. And that He invites you to come close. Some of us need to understand that He is all-powerful, too. I mean, who else can look at death and go, stop that? Who else can look at sin and go, no more? Who else can say, I will wipe away every tear from every eye? 
Who else can say, I know every hair on your head? Who else can say, I knit you and formed you in your mother's womb? I gave you purpose. I gave you everything you need to live. Your heart is beating because I say it does. Your breath is going in and out of your lungs, and you don't even think about it right now because I say it does. This is our God. Father Almighty. There was a study done by a secular group who was trying to strip down all religions and just basically say, this is what Christianity is about. And this author says in his book, Basic Christianity, that Christianity really boils down to the universal fatherhood of God and the universal brotherhood of man. And I know that sounds really nice, but it's not what Scripture teaches Scripture teaches a universal maker and that you and I are universal neighbors. But to say that God is father to every single person on this planet as his child is not what we see in Scripture. And the reason we can't say that is what Scripture says is because Jesus would not have had to come and do what he did to invite us in as children. First Timothy says this, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says, So you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. You and I have been invited into a relationship. But there's a change that has to happen. To go from creation to child is to say yes, to come to the Father the way He invites us to through Christ. And my son Jude, at night, they listened to Old Testament stories, and Jude was like, Dad, i got to ask you a question. I was listening to this story about when the Ark of the Covenant was on this cart being pulled, and it tipped over, and a man reached out, and he put his hands on it to try and keep the cart from tipping, and he, he pushed back on it, and he was struck dead. It seemed like the guy was trying to do a good job, a good thing. Why, why did that happen? I said, well, son, God reveals himself to us as unchanging. He doesn't change who he is. He is holy. He is just. He is righteous. And sin cannot have anything to do with him. And I'm sitting there looking and trying to say this to my son, and I'm looking at Jude, and he's going, and I said, well, let me explain it this way. And I don't know why Olaf came to my head, but a snowman from Frozen pops into my head and the sun. And I said, son, if, if the sun, the ball of fire that floats in the sky, said to Olaf, hey, Olaf, I want to I I I hang out. Let's go play some ball together. Let's go play. Now, if a snowman walks into the presence of the sun, what happens to the snowman? Melts. But if the son says, hey, Olaf, look, I made for you this suit that if you wear it, you can come hang out and we can play basketball. You won't melt. Everything's going to work and it's going to make sense. And, and you can come close to me and we can be in relationship. We can high five each other and you won't melt. It's going to be so great. And Jude goes, I get it. And I said, well, what if Olaf decided to come to the sun without that suit? What would happen? He would melt. What would happen if he comes to the sun in the suit? Now they get to hang out. The truth is, to come to our Father 
who is righteous and cannot be around sin, and he is unchanging. He said, I am who I am. You and I need the covering of Christ, and that is why there is one God and one mediator, and that is Christ. That is how we move out from just being simply creation, which is special in and of itself, to that relationship of child. Child of God, because God made a way through Christ. And so what we're going to do to close this time is you guys can stand with me. We did this last week, and we'll do it the whole series. But it's good to confess these things together. And I want to encourage you, if you don't believe these things, you don't have to say them. You don't have to say it. But for those of you who do, this is a moment where we join our voices with not just the universal church now, but the church throughout history. And we declare the simple truth of what God has revealed about himself and so we'll say this together and we'll close our time in worship. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.